Well, good morning. It's good to be back here today. I was preaching at our St. Albans campus this last week, so good to be back in Taze Valley. There's this uh, young pastor, and he went out to lunch one day at a restaurant, and while he was there, he was opening up his mail, and uh, he, he had a letter from his mom, and he opened up the letter, and out popped a $20 bill. And so he thought, wow, that's a nice little gift from mom. Well, he was sitting there eating, and he looked out the window, and he saw that there was a beggar outside, and he, he thought, you know, that guy could probably use the money a little bit more than I could. So he put the money back in the envelope, scratched out his name, and put in large letters this encouraging message that he was going to give to that man. He wrote the word, persevere. So he went out the restaurant, he went over to the man, handed him the envelope without saying a word, and walked away. Well, the next day, the pastor went back to the same restaurant. He started eating his lunch, and as he was eating, this man, same man from yesterday tapped him on his shoulder and handed him a big wad of bills. And the young pastor was surprised. He said, what's this for? And the man replied, well, this is your half of the winnings. Huh? Persevere came in first in the fourth race in the track yesterday. It was 30 to 1 odds. <laughs> well, we are in, a, in the third week of a series, a five-week series called Don't Give Up. And it's a series intended to encourage us to persevere. Not bet on a horse named Persevere, but to persevere. So for this series, we've been looking in Psalm 73. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, open up to Psalm 73. Just a quick reminder, this psalm was written by a, a man named Asaph. Asaph was a very godly man. He was a Levite who had been appointed by King David to serve, in God, serve God's people in leading worship at the sanctuary or the tabernacle. And so this, this godly man, this man who just had a great legacy of faith, he's recounting to us how there's a season of his life where he wanted to throw in the towel, where he wanted to give up. So I'm going to read the entire chapter, Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. It says this. So surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved, 
and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart or my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. What a great passage. So let's review a little bit. Why was it that Asaph was so discouraged? What made him want to give up? Well, in week one, we kind of talked about three things. We said, well, he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. You ever felt like that before? Like, you know, every day of 2020, like the last couple of weeks, like what is going on in the world, God? All this hatred and violence and division and, and, and wickedness. And it seems like some of the biggest offenders are the ones who seem to be prospering. They seem to be the ones who have life easier. They're the ones who are healthier and wealthier, have less worries in the world. It just doesn't seem fair, does it? Also, we said he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. So the wicked are prospering and Asaph felt like as if he was suffering. You ever felt like that? You ever asked those questions? Why me, God? And you can relate to Asaph and, and this almost caused him to slip. It almost caused him to give up. He also couldn't see the point of pursuing a godly life. I mean, let's face it, if, if the wicked are prospering and their life seems to be easier and healthier and wealthier, and I'm over here and I'm trying to pursue God, trying to listen to God, trying to obey God, and all I'm experiencing is pain and loss and hardship and sickness, then what's the point? Asaph said in verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. He's like, has it all been in vain? Is there any reason to remain innocent if I'm going to be punished like I'm guilty? Maybe I should just live it up. Maybe I should live like the wicked if I'm going to experience the punishment that I think that they deserve. And so we have this man who was very active in his faith, active in his service to the Lord, and he almost gave up. And this is what the psalm is about. It is about a man of faith who almost gave up, but God turned him around. So how did this turnaround happen? Well, that's what we've been talking about in this series. We've been looking at this, this five-point turn that Asaph had. And in week one, we talked about that first point in his turnaround, and it was to stop. Asaph wanted answers, but first he needed to make a decision, a decision to stop this slide into despair, stop all of the negative thoughts that were coming into his mind. And we need to do that too. Stop all the negative. Stop, stop only thinking about ourselves you know, when we, all, all we can see is, is my condition, my problems, my suffering, we quickly go from being discouraged to feeling like we're in despair and hopelessness and we're going to be ready to give up. In verse 15, Asaph said, if, if I had spoken out like that, like if I, if I had followed these, these thoughts that I was having without proper perspective, I would have betrayed your children. But he didn't. He stopped. He, he wrote about this after he had some clarity. And last week we said that the second point in this turnaround was to think. Asaph said in verses 16 and 17, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. 
Then I understood their final destiny. He's talking about the wicked. Then I understood where they were going to end up. Something changed for Asaph when he went into the sanctuary. It's also called the tabernacle. Now, if you were here last week, you remember there was something very special that was enclosed in the sanctuary called the Ark of the Covenant. And we talked about what that Ark would have stood for that would have changed his thinking. And we wanted to challenge you to change your thinking. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant would remind us of some some things about God. And so we challenged you to think about the, the presence of God. Remember, that's what really the Ark of the Covenant was. The presence of God went with the ark. And then what was inside reminds us of the promise of God, the provision of God, and the protection of God. And so if you are discouraged today, if you're ready to throw in the towel, just stop for a moment and think. Think about who God is and what he has done. Think with eternity in mind. You know, it's easy to see the wicked prospering and think, man, that's so unfair. They're getting everything that they ever wanted. But with an eternal perspective, we begin to see like Asaph did, that that they are building their lives on a slippery slope of a foundation. That it might seem like they are living a dream, but that dream will come to an end and they will one day wake to the reality of where they're at. Yet followers of Christ instead have an eternal glory to look forward to. I love this quote from Craig Groeschel I found this week. He said, so get the biggest data plan you can. And collect Wi-Fi passwords at every stop. Check in at all the cool places. Share every inspirational thought you have in every joke. Snap lots of pics. Get video clips too, of course. And never stop uploading the whole show to the cloud as you go. Post everything online for the whole world to see. Pile up likes and friends and followers until it's all a frenzied blur. Hustle until your real life exceeds your dreams. And finally... Once you've reached the summit, I can guarantee you this one thing. Your longing for more will never stop. Like the latest technology, your achievements are outdated overnight. Why? How could that be possible? Because you were not created for this earth. You were created for eternity. And there is nothing on this earth that can ever satisfy that spiritual longing you feel inside, even if you collect it all. Nothing. So it's easy to look at at the wicked who are prospering and think, maybe that's the life I should live. But stop and think. You are made for so much more than the temporary. You are made for so much more than the prosperity of this world. You are made for so much more. Think with eternity in mind. Well, today we want to look at this third point in this turnaround that Asaph made. And that point is to confess, confess. So here's a little confession joke for you. Ready? A girl walks into this confession stand at church and she said, ouch, that's it. It's really bad. You got a girl walks into a confession stand at church. Sorry. All right. Here's a little better one. So there's this dying man and he wanted to prevent his family from inheriting his wealth. So he entrusted his money to three of his closest friends, a doctor, a priest, and a lawyer. And so he gives each of his friends an envelope with a million dollars in cash in it. And he makes them swear to bury that money with him when he dies. And so they all shake hands. They agree. A few months later, sure enough, the man dies. And the three friends, they place their envelopes in his casket to be buried. Well, later, privately, the doctor confesses to the others. He says, gentlemen, I I confess that my letter did not have the full million dollars in it. 
Last winter, the hospital badly needed a new dialysis machine, and it cost $50,000. I feel like Bob would have approved, as it would have saved countless lives. Then the priest said, you know, I, I too have a confession to make. My envelope also did not have the full million dollars in it. The church orphanage badly needed repairs, and it was going to cost $60,000. And so, look, we're, we're naming a new wing in Bob's honor. I, I'm sure he would have approved. And then the lawyer spoke up. He said, gentlemen, I'm so ashamed of you. This, this was Bob's dying wish, and you couldn't obey it. He said, I assure you that my envelope contained the full million dollars. There was a check in there for a million (laughs) dollars. You know, there are a lot of misconceptions about confession. If, If you grew up in a Catholic tradition, maybe you went to confession before a priest uh, but us Protestants, we, we sometimes have downplayed or glossed over confession like it's no big deal, like it's not really something that we do. But, but let me tell you this about confession. Confession is a normal part of the Christian life, or it should be a normal part of the Christian life. James tells us that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. We, we read countless verses about confession throughout Scripture. We read one earlier that he is faithful and just when we confess. Here in Psalm 73, Asaph practiced confession. He said in verses 21 and 22, he said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. This was Asaph's confession to God. And if we want a healthy Christian life, we have to practice confession to God. You know, a few weeks ago, we, we introduced the song Graves into Gardens into our worship set. I love that song. But I, I, we were, the first time we sang it, we were singing it during communion. And so I was sitting over here and I was praying during communion and I was confessing my sin before God. Uh, that's, again, something we do during communion. We examine our lives. And so I was examining my life, where I was for that week, and I was confessing my sin. And as I was confessing my sin, we sang the lyrics of that song. It said, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. And I thought, as I'm confessing my sin and we're singing the song, that's, that's what I'm doing right now, confessing my failures and flaws to a God who has seen it all. Yet the cross of Christ reminds me that I can still be restored and even enjoy friendship with my Savior. Now, confession has been practiced differently throughout the centuries. Again, I think many of us, we think of going before a priest to confess. Maybe you heard about the priest who who said to a parishioner after her confession, he said, I actually have a confession to make myself. I'm not really a priest. I just accidentally put my shirt on backward. (laughs) But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible are we told to confess to some paid professional. And actually, all believers are part of the priesthood if you read, read through the Bible. So if you want, go out and buy yourself a priestly collar. Uh, I, I have a friend who, he is not a priest, but he went out and he bought himself a priestly collar and he had his picture taken for his license with it on. So I guess he thought, if I get pulled over, maybe they'll have pity on a priest. But anyway, some of you guys know him actually. But, but again, we, we, aren't, we are not commanded to confess before some paid professional but, but we do confess to one another and before God. And confession is good for the soul. Even unbelievers know confession is good. The, the Greek philosopher Socrates once said that the unexamined life 
is not worth living. So after a season of questioning God, Asaph began to examine his own life. And when we begin to think clearly, he, you know, he, he started thinking clearly. He started to understand the bigger picture. He started to see his own soul more clearly. You know, when the light of truth comes on in your life, it shines and it exposes. And you'll be able to see for yourself your life a little more clearly in that light. And when you see your sinfulness, you, you're able to confess those things that are hidden deep in your heart. Things that you didn't see at first. And so that le- leads me to this about confession. That confession exposes what is hidden in your heart. It exposes what is hidden in your heart. Now I know that this will shock you, but Sarah and I, we sometimes argue. I know, right? Like we, we take off our halos and we sometimes momentarily have it out. And it happened recently and we, we, we both came back together and we apologized and we talked it through. But for me, that time of confession to one another revealed some stuff about me. It exposed some deeper issues in my life. And a big part of why we were arguing was because of my pride. I was not, as Ephesians 5 talks about, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I was letting my pride get in my way. Notice here in Psalm 73, Asaph specifically confessed. And and I think this is so helpful to us today when we find ourselves in in kind of a similar position of questioning God, questioning his goodness, questioning his sovereignty. Asaph said in verse 21, he said, "When, when my heart was grieved. So he had looked at the world, how the wicked were prospering, how the righteous were suffering, including himself. And it grieved him. His heart was grieved. And when your heart is grieved, there, there are some real temptations that you're vulnerable to. And we need to be aware of these things. Like if you find yourself with a grieving heart over what's going on in the world, what's going on in your own life, you're probably going to be susceptible to the same things as Asaph. And again, we need to be aware of them. So what were they? Well, there were three things that he confessed to. He confessed that first of all, he had a bitter spirit. He said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, Now, that sounds like in English that a grieved heart and a bittered spirit identifies one condition. But but I think you you all know that you can have a grieved heart without a bitter spirit, right? So I'm suggesting that this is the first sin he is confessing to. He allowed himself to get bitter over what he saw in the world. He allowed his situation to churn and churn and churn in him until it made him bitter. Bitter. And I think this is a huge temptation that we have in our own lives too. When, when things don't go our way, when, we, when things don't go the way we think they should, when we see things happening in our world that just don't seem right and people are getting away with it, we let it eat at us. We let it eat and eat and eat until we become bitter and we begin to resent others. Asaph also confessed that he had a heart that ruled over his head. He had a heart that rules his head. He said, when my, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he said, I was senseless and ignorant. Now, these two words, senseless and ignorant, are words that describe his state of mind. When, when his heart was grieved, he allowed his emotions to take over and it clouded his thinking. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotions, but we can allow them to cloud our thinking. And this is what happened. You ever do something or say something irrational when you're upset about something? No? Yeah, me neither, right? Never happens to me, right? All the time, right? 
And we let our emotions get the best of us. And then we get so upset and we get so frustrated about things that we say such stupid things and we do such stupid things. And we go back and we're like, man, why? Why would I ever say that? That was so dumb of me. Why would I ever do that? Because we let our emotions take control and override our heads. And when we do that, when we let our hearts rule over our heads, it's like letting the kids run the house, right? Like kids and grandkids, they bring such life and laughter to our homes. And it wouldn't be the same without them. We don't want to get rid of them most of the time. But if we, if we let kids take over the home, it's going to be chaos really quickly, isn't it? I mean, sure, it'd be fun for a little while to eat chocolate and ice cream at every meal. But after a while, when your stomach is hurting and the bills aren't getting paid and the house is trashed, it's not going to seem so great. When the heart gets grieved, it gets all emotional and worked up. And this is what happened to Asaph. It blinded him to the fact that the God of the universe was in charge. That's what happens. Again, emotions aren't bad, but we've got to be careful that they don't blind us to truth. And it started to blind him to the fact that God was in charge. God was still reigning sovereign. And so he became senseless and ignorant. And this is what will happen to us if we aren't careful. Asaph also confessed his impulsive behavior. He said, again, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. He said, I was a brute beast before you. So what does it mean that he was a brute beast? So that he was like some workout king with big muscles, right? He's a brute beast. No, he's he's talking about impulsive behavior. So this is the difference between humans and animals, right? We we just got a, a cat a few months ago. And I teased my wife because she's the one who really wanted this creature. Uh, But I tease her all the time. I'm like, that cat is just so dumb. It's so stupid. But the fact is, all cats are dumb. All of them are stupid, right? (laughs) But humans, I know some of you are so offended. (laughs) Humans can think about things, right? Humans can reason with others. In fact, I know this doesn't seem like it oftentimes, but humans can reason with others in in loving and peaceful ways. Really, I, I know it doesn't seem like it lately, but we can control our behavior and our speech and even what we type on social media, right? Animals, on the other hand, they, they don't have these abilities. I mean, they can be trained, but they mostly act on impulse. They do simply what comes naturally to them. They can't really help it. But we can, we can. And so Asaph is is confessing. He said, I was acting out without thinking. I let my emotions get the best of me. I let bitterness creep into my life and grow. I was like a wild animal. And he says, and I almost slipped. You know, we live in a culture that continually acts on impulse. Our culture says, well, if it feels good, do it. If you don't like something, make your voice heard immediately without listening first. We're told to instead listen to our hearts. Listen to your heart. Follow your heart, right? And this isn't good advice. Remember that villain series we did this past summer? We talked about how the heart is like a villain. It is deceitful and beyond cure. If you follow the impulses of your heart, if you let your emotions control your behavior, it is a dangerous thing. Again, I'm not saying ignore your heart. I'm not saying ignore those emotions. I'm saying don't let them have the main or final say-so in your life. These things always need to be measured with Scripture, with the truth of God's Word. 
So Asaph, he confessed these things to God. And I want you to notice the last two words of his confession. He said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. I was a brute beast before you, God. Asaph points out that all of these sins, his bitter spirit, his emotional outbursts, his impulsive behavior, they were committed in front of God and they were committed to God, against God. They were an offense to God. And we need to realize that as well, that our sins are committed right in front of God and to God. He sees everything. The writer of Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Early church leader and theologian Augustine said, in failing to confess, Lord, I would only hide you from myself, not myself from you. We're not hiding anything from God. We're only hiding ourselves from ourself when we don't confess. In Psalm 73, you you can really just feel the, the repentance in Asaph's words. He struggled with the prosperity of the wicked and the suffering of the righteous. But when he came into the presence of God, he saw things more clearly. He understood the big picture. And immediately, he saw himself in the light of the truth. And that light exposed him. And so he confessed his sins to God. And there's a great lesson here, isn't there? When we come into God's presence, we see our sinful self and are driven to repentance. When we see more fully the holiness of God, we are able to see our sins so much more clearly. We, we, we see examples of this throughout scripture. Isaiah, he, got a, he caught this glimpse of the glory of the Lord. And when he saw the glory of the Lord, he cried out, woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes, they have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In all his glory, I saw it and it it, it made me realize how sinful I am. That's what he's saying. Peter, he saw the miraculous power of Jesus and it says in Luke 5 that he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He recognized his sin the more he was able to see clearly who Jesus was. One of the greatest examples to me of this is is the progression we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. The more time that, that Paul spent with God, the more he matured in his faith, the more he actually saw his sinfulness. And you would think it would be like the opposite, right? Like, Like the closer he got to God, he's probably sinning less. And that's probably true. But the closer he got to God the more he saw the holiness of God and the more clearly he saw how unclean and unworthy he was compared to a perfect God. And so early on in one of his writings in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. So he's saying, of all the apostles, I'm the least. And then later in life, in Ephesians 3.8, he said, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. So he's saying, look, early on, in, 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 you know, early on in his life or in his, after his conversion, he's saying, look, I am, I am the least of the apostles. Like of those, of those faithful men who were chosen by Jesus, these amazing men of faith, I'm at the bottom. I'm the least. Like, put me at number 12. But then later on in his life, 
In Ephesians, after some more maturity, he said, well, you know, of all, of all God's people, like of all Christians, I am the least. So he goes from, well, of all the apostles, I'm the least. Now he's saying, of all Christians, I'm the least. And then toward the end of his life, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He's saying, of all sinners, of all people, I am the worst. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. The greatest missionary for Jesus to ever live, the one who penned over half of the New Testament, is saying, of all sinners, of all people, I'm the worst, right? Sorry, that's a little Parks and Rec joke for some of you. <laughs> the closer you get to the presence of God, the more you see your sinfulness. You are never, ever closer to God than when you are aware of your own sin. And this is what happened to Asaph. But I want to tell you one more thing about confession as we wrap up today. Confession opens the door to hope. Confession opens the door to hope. And this is only possible because of the love and grace of our Lord. Sin deserves death. It deserves separation. But that's not what Asaph got. And that's not what we get either through Christ. Asaph points out in verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. I love that first word in that verse, yet, yet. I, I am guilty. I was acting like I shouldn't act. I was bitter. I was envious. I was foolish. I deserved punishment. I deserved wrath. I deserved death. I deserved separation. Yet, yet Lord, you are still with me and I am always with you. I, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. And by the grace of God, we don't get what we deserve either. We have hope in Christ. Remember the passage I showed you where Paul said he is the worst of all sinners. Here's how that verse continues. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul's saying, I, I am the worst of sinners, yet I was shown grace. I was shown grace. I'm the worst of sinners, yet Christ displayed this immense patience in me. And this isn't special just for Paul. He said it's an example for all who will believe in him and receive eternal life. That confession opened the door to hope, the hope of eternal life for those who will believe in him. So don't give up. Don't give up. Stop and think. Think about all God is, all he has done. Confess your sins to him. And through the power of the cross, through the power of his spirit, and through hope in Jesus Christ, you can turn around. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this very honest and raw uh, psalm that we read about Asaph and what he went through. And God, it is so easy for us to relate to him because we look around at the world we see wickedness we see injustice we see division and hatred 
And we see the most wicked of them all, it seems like, are prospering. They're getting everything that they could ever want in this world. And then we look and see the righteous suffer. And it just doesn't make sense. It makes us question things. It makes us question you. But God, I thank you that Asaph writes us after he's had some perspective. He's able to see things more clearly. He even starts it off and says, I know that God is good. He is good. Though there was a season where I had some doubt, there, there was a season where I was having a hard time understanding it. I know now coming out on the other side that we serve a God who is good. And God, in the midst of that journey, as he entered the sanctuary and began to see more clearly, as he came into your presence, he was exposed to some things about his own life. And God, I pray that that your light would expose some things in us too. It may not be pretty. It may not be fun for us to see these things that are hidden sometimes down in the depths of our soul. The pride that wells up, the envy that wells up, this bitterness that we're hanging on to. God, I pray that it would come to light so that we could turn it over to you. We could confess it and we know you are faithful and just. You are willing, and more importantly, able to forgive. We don't have the power to forgive ourselves. We don't have the power to save ourselves. And so God, we are so thankful that, that Jesus came, that he entered this world, took on flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, taught us what it was like to follow you, taught us what it was like to love you and love people, and then willingly went to the cross for our sins. And so God, today, may we be exposed to our sins so that we can confess them to you and so that healing can come about. God, when we see the wicked prosper, and then we come into your presence and see our sinfulness. We begin to understand that we aren't getting what we deserve either. We deserve for our sins, death and separation and hell and wrath. And instead, because of Jesus, we get grace and love and compassion and mercy and hope. So may we live in that hope and may we share that hope to a dying and lost world that so desperately needs it. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And so this morning we've talked a lot about confession and the sin in our lives, but there is a solution to that, as we've said. There is hope because of Jesus. And so we wanna extend an invitation to you to place your hope your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. If you've never done that and followed through with baptism, I'm going to be up here to you right as we sing this last song. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to help you take a next step in following Jesus, whatever that is, or maybe just pray for you if that's what you need. So I'll be up here to your right as we sing this last song. If you have a decision to make, we stand and sing this.